Yeah, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. Find it again. Okay. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphath. He was ploughing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the ploughing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Thank you, Neil. Uh, And so Neil just told me a moment ago, uh, just in case uh, people here this morning feel that you've uh, missed the rapture, um, that it's actually a long weekend if you work in Canberra uh, this weekend. So uh, John is smiling. Uh, all our Canberra em- workers who are here this morning are very happy about that. Um, so you get a bonus uh, public holiday just for working in Canberra. Um, and, and so uh, this morning uh, we're continuing our no, uh, uh, Hold Nothing Back series and I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump in through this passage together. So I encourage you to pray with me. Um, this morning. So Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the instruction, the encouragement, the challenge, uh, the correction that comes from your word. And so I pray this morning as we come to the scriptures that we uh, wouldn't come to it and go away unchanged, but that you would transform us by your word this morning, that you would teach us, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, and that we would respond to it, Lord. We pray that your Holy Spirit would come and work in our hearts as we explore your word this morning. In Jesus' almighty name, amen. Amen. Um, might just need to turn me down a touch, Michael. Uh, so this morning, uh, as I said, it's, it's the second week of our Hold Nothing Back series. And, and so this is digging into our, our vision theme for the year that you can see on the back wall, that, that vision of being all in for Jesus and his kingdom. And so specifically what we're looking at in this series is what are the things that hold us back from being all in? What are the things that we we hold back from being all in with Jesus? What what are the things we cling to that keeps us from being all in for Jesus? And so last week we talked about no cost too high. Uh, We explored what I described as a product disclosure statement for discipleship that Jesus gave to the crowd. And essentially, Jesus wanted those who would choose to be his disciples to know that it could come with a cost. It could cost them their relationships with their family. It could cost them their life. It could cost them everything. And, and so last week, we explored this idea of we, we as Jesus, crowd, those in the crowd had to do, we have to cross that line in our heart in case one day we need to cross it with our feet. What I mean is we need to be prepared to say, no matter what the cost, I'm going to be all in for Jesus. And so this week, we're, we're continuing that idea, but we're talking about no turning back. See, last week was about no cost is too high. It's about how much are we prepared to pay, not to earn Jesus' grace. That's a free gift. But, but how much are we prepared to allow it to cost us to follow Jesus? This week, it's about not turning back. 
And so uh, I want to look at this story that we find in 1 Kings about uh, Elijah, the, the great prophet of Israel, the, the, the prophetic leader of Israel uh, that, that was really the kind of anchoring point into God in the midst of a, a, a season where Israel were completely off the rails. This man Elijah anointing a plowman. And so as Neil read for us in, in verse 19, it says, Elijah went from there and found Elisha, uh, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. And Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Um, now this morning, uh, if, you're, if you're not sure what that's all about, if that seems a little bit confusing for you, uh, then uh, you should feel at ease. This, this happened almost 3,000 years ago. Uh, this was written in a completely different language to what we speak. It was written in Hebrew. There's a whole bunch of cultural and ancient religious things happening in, in just this one verse that we're not really equipped to understand unless we've had the, the privilege of, of spending time reading it. Uh, some context is given to us uh, if we jump back a few verses into 1 Kings 19, 15 and 16. It says, uh, the Lord said to him, that's Elijah. Uh, and so this is that moment that uh, if you're familiar with the story that Elijah had just been really cranky at God, he'd said to God, everyone has, who, who trusts the Lord has been killed and they're going to kill me next and I'm the last one left who's faithful to God. Um, and, and, and so Elijah had this moment up on the mountain where he uh, had essentially been fleeing from God and he's gone to the, uh, the mountain and there was a, an earthquake and a fire and, 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 and all these big, grand, natural, kind of not natural in a sense, because God was causing them to happen. But, but God wasn't speaking to Elijah through those. And then uh, it's where we hear this phrase that, that Elijah heard the sound of, of almost silence or breath, a still small voice, and God spoke to him in that. And so this is a moment where Elijah is essentially recommissioned and re-sent out for his task as a prophet. And then in verse 15 and 16, it says, The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus, when you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Sorry, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And here's where it connects with what we're talking about this morning. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel and Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. And, and so Elijah's given this commission to go and anoint. Elijah's given this commission to go anoint Elisha as the next prophet of Israel. And so we're told that Elisha, Elijah, sorry, Elijah, Elisha, getting the muddle up, Elijah finds Elisha and throws his cloak over him. And, and as Neil read, Elisha's reaction to that is quite, a, quite extreme. Even Elijah says, what have I done to you? So Elisha, Elijah had just thrown a cloak over Elisha. But, but this cloak wasn't just any cloak, it's uh, in, in the Hebrew, literally a hairy garment and it was, it was almost the kind of vestments, the official robes of a prophet. It was a garment of the prophetic office. And, and so in throwing the cloak over Elisha, that's essentially Elijah anointing him. It's passing on the prophetic mantle and mission. This is actually where we get that idea of passing the mantle to, to someone else is that that Elijah took off his cloak and placed it upon Elisha. And so Elisha was anointed or commissioned to be the next prophetic leader of Israel. 
And so this might be confusing for us. What's this thing happening with the cloak? What's going on here? But Elisha would have clearly understood what was happening. The great prophetic leader of Israel, Elijah. Um, not that there's like a, a scoreboard of prophets, but, but Elijah was probably the greatest prophet known to Israel since Moses. And he's come along and said, you're next. Tag, you're it. And so Elisha would have understood this as a clear and significant calling. And so if we jump down to, to verse 21, we see the fullness of his reaction as Neil read it for us already, but let's look at it again. So it says, So Elisha left him, that's Elijah, and went back. He took his yoke of oxen, so he was ploughing at the time that Elijah found him. He took his yoke of oxen, oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the ploughing equipment, took the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out and followed Elijah and became his servant. And so Elisha's response was all in. His life was about tilling the land. It was about working the land. He was a farmer, a ploughman, and, and there's, there's an indication that he was quite wealthy or his family at least were quite wealthy because he had 12 yoke of oxen to plough with and and he was driving one of those yokes of oxen. But, but his response, despite all that he had in this world to the, the, the prophetic mantle being placed upon him, his response was to go all in. And so he went back and he slaughtered his livelihood. He slaughtered the oxen. And, and just to make the point clear, he used the, the, uh, the timber that his ploughing equipment was made out of to barbecue the oxen. And, and so though the word sacrifice isn't used here, there's, there's almost an element of worship here that, that Elijah's taking his oxen and, and, and sacrificing them to God. It's, a, it's an act of worship. But it's also a statement. It's a statement of Elisha saying, I'm completely breaking myself from the past. It's a symbolic act of of, of uh, finishing his past life so that he might step fully into the new. Uh, for those who are exploring baptism this afternoon, we're going to talk about baptism and that's one of the ideas of baptism is, is it's a symbolic act of saying my old life is finished, my new life in Jesus has begun. And so Elijah, Elisha here is saying my old life as a ploughman, as a farmer, of a, as, a, as a person of material means in this world is finished. And my new life, becoming the prophetic leader of Israel, has begun. It's a statement, it's an act of worship, but it's also a simple thing of giving himself nothing to return to. He's not burning his relational bridges, but he's burning his means of going back. He's ending his opportunity just to give up on the prophetic mission and go back well I'll just go back and I'll, I'll, I'll join up with my, my employees and I'll just go back and start ploughing the land again. He's giving himself nothing to go back to. And then it says, then he set out and followed Elijah, Elijah and became his servant or attendant. And so we th see through the rest of Elisha's story uh, as it's married to Elijah's story, is that he doggedly pursues Elijah. 
He seeks to learn everything he can about what it means to be the, the prophetic leader of Israel, the voice of God to his people. He clings to Elijah. Even when Elijah makes it almost impossible to follow, Elisha clings to him. Even when Elijah says, you know, give, go away, I'm, I'm going to return to the Lord today, Elisha clings to him. Even when a chariot of fire from heaven comes between them, Elisha pursues him, he's all in, and he says there is no turning back from this mission. He didn't hedge his bets. He didn't make a plan B. He closed the door on temptation to turn back to being a plowman. And so Elijah gives us, Elisha gives us this model of what it looks like to commit to no turning back, to burn the plow, to leave the old life behind and step into the new. It's somewhat ironic, actually, that 800 years later or so, Jesus talked about plowing, but now as a metaphor of what it meant to follow Jesus, to be his disciple. In uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus says, No one who puts hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is using this idea of plowing as a metaphor for discipleship. To give it some context, I just want to read the verses before that. Um, And this is another essentially product disclosure statement on discipleship from Jesus. There's people coming to him saying, I want to follow you. And so it says in verse 57 before this, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And so Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, it's not always going to be comfortable. It's not always going to be easy. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And then that's where we come to verse 62. Jesus replied, no one who puts hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. See, being a disciple of Jesus means not looking back over your shoulder at what other things from the past you might like to go back to. It also means not turning back and going back to the old ways of life. Uh, And so Jesus used this idea of ploughing as a metaphor and and I thought, um, just to put a picture of of a similar kind of idea of of what ploughing looked like in in Jesus' day. Obviously this photo wasn't taken at the time of Jesus. but it's a bit of an indication. And, and so uh, they would plough with an with a, uh, implement dragged along by an animal or a couple animals. The more money you had, the stronger the animal uh, would be. I actually saw some pictures where the plough has been dragged by uh, a couple people. Um, and so what would, uh, you would need to do is, as the animals were dragging it forward, you would need to bear down on the back of the plough so it dug into the soil. Uh, And so Jesus says this is a metaphor for discipleship and and also in Israel, in in that region, the the ground was rocky and rugged and hard. Uh, And so it wasn't easy ground to plough. It wasn't uh, kind of a smooth, like as you think about the the, um, 
cropping lands west of here that are, are flat and smooth for miles and miles and miles that, and that kind of uh, soil that can be ploughed up quite easily. This is rocky, hard, rugged, undulating territory. And so Jesus uses this as a metaphor for discipleship that, that you couldn't actually plough that kind of territory and look over your shoulder and expect to do a good job of it. You couldn't plough a straight line while you were looking back over your shoulder. You had to fix your eyes ahead because you can see that this ploughman is holding the reins of his donkeys or mules uh, in one hand and he's holding the plough in the other hand. It was actually a difficult job to keep that thing going straight. You had to steer the animals and the plough at the same time. And so it was hard work that required focus. And, And so Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, but you're fixated on the past, Your service in the kingdom won't be fit. It won't be what it's intended to be. If you're looking over your shoulder at what's behind you, you're not fit for the service of the kingdom of God. But also Jesus is touching on here this idea of giving up and turning back altogether, of returning to your past life. And, and, and if you were someone who'd started plowing a field and thought, oh, this, this is a bit rugged, this is a bit hard and walked away. Jesus is saying, that's not what it looks like to be my disciple. Jesus is saying, it will be rough at times. It will be rugged. It will require focus. You will need to fix your eyes ahead. But don't turn back. Don't look back over your shoulder at the things from the past. Enter in to a new life. Be all in. Don't look back. It reminds us of what we read in Philippians where where the Apostle Paul is wrestling with this transition that he's had to a new life. And last week we looked at some of his words about uh, the cost of being a disciple of Jesus and we looked at some words from Philippians 3 last week that Paul was talking about he considers all things worthless for the sake of knowing Jesus. That, That he could lose everything that he would gain because... He knows Jesus in this new life. And so Paul goes on in in Philippians 3 and he talks about this idea of not looking back. He talks about what he is ploughing towards, but he also says, not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, and here's where it relates to what we're talking about today, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so Paul's essentially saying, I've burnt my plough. What was in my past, what would tempt me to turn back and go back to it, I've burnt it. For Paul, that was his status as a Pharisee, as, a, as a, someone righteous under the law. He's standing in the Jewish community. He's burnt that in turning to Jesus. And so rather than look over his shoulder and think about the past, or rather than being tempted to turn back and give up on Jesus and turn back to what he once had, Paul says, I forget that. 
There's no turning back to that. I've burnt my plough. I press on to what's ahead. And so we're given this new life in Jesus. We're given a new calling in Jesus. And so Jesus says, don't focus on the past. Don't give up. Press forward. Plow ahead. But the question I want to ask us this morning, there's two questions actually I want to ask us as we draw towards a close this morning is, do you know what you're pressing forward towards? Do you have a clear understanding? Just as Elisha had this clear calling, though it may seem confusing to us, cloaks been thrown over shoulders and plough burning and impromptu barbecues, the, the story makes clear when we understand it that, that Elisha had a clear and unmistakable calling. And so my question for all of us this morning is, do we have that sense of clear and unmistakable calling that we're pressing on towards? Because I want to suggest to you that just as Elisha had the calling to follow Elijah and become the next prophet, just as he had a, a mantle placed upon his shoulders, he had a calling placed upon him, I want to suggest this morning that we have a clear call. We have a clear mantle placed upon us by Jesus. I want to look at this verse and I'm jumping around a lot of verses this morning and, um, and, and so uh, no apologies for that really, but just acknowledge that. But I want to look at this end of uh, Matthew's Gospel and, and, and remind us of what our clear calling is, remind us of what cloak Jesus has placed upon our shoulders. Uh, and it's too small on the back screen for me, so I'm going to read from the front with you. And it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee. And so this is after Jesus' death. It's after His resurrection. This is the moment before He ascends back to heaven. This is His, his last moments with His disciples. And so the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted, or uh, we could translate that as some hesitated. So if you have doubts and hesitations, you're in fairly good company. It says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. And so I want to suggest that, that the first part of who you're called to be, of what you're called to embrace as your clear and unmistakable calling as a follower of Jesus, is to simply worship Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. That our, our purpose as his disciples is to worship but the story doesn't end there. That was their spontaneous response. Then Jesus gives them a commission. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's prefacing that whatever he tells you to do should be something that you should probably do. He says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so the mantle placed upon us, the calling placed upon us, is to worship Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. But it's also to make disciples. It's also to baptise 
It's also to teach. The calling of each and every disciple of Jesus is to worship him, to make disciples, to baptize and to teach, to teach people to become followers of Jesus and what that looks like. And so this is our clear and unmistakable calling. This is the mantle placed upon us. We all have different gifts and abilities we're not all evangelists, we're not all pastors, we're not all prophets, we're, uh, we're not all teachers, but we all have this calling. We all have this mantle upon our lives to worship Jesus as Lord, to make disciples, to baptize them and to teach them. We're all called to be involved in that process. We're all called to be all in to have that as our overriding purpose. We're all called to hold nothing back from that being our purpose. So the first question I asked was, do you know, do you have that clear understanding of what your call is like Elisha? My second question is, is it perhaps time for you to have your own barbecue? What I don't mean by that is, though this would be a great thing to do, is have some people over for lunch this afternoon. Well, that's a fantastic thing to do. What I mean is, is there things in your life that keeps you looking back over your shoulder instead of looking at what's ahead? Actually, I think there's things for all of us, so I actually want to phrase that question like this. What keeps you looking over your shoulder instead of looking at the calling that Jesus has given you that lies ahead? What do you need to set fire to to be all in for Jesus? What do you need to barbecue to be all in for Jesus, to hold nothing back? Is it... Perhaps areas of sin in your life. Is there, is there an area of sin or temptation that, that you want to be all in for Jesus, you want to plow ahead, but, but there's this sin, there's this entanglement in sin that keeps pulling you back in? Well, we're not going to have a barbecue this morning, but what I'm leading to is we're going to nail these things to the cross. Is it past hurts and pain that you've been hurt in the past, you've been wounded in your life and, and you want to be all in for Jesus but there's this stuff, this, this pain in your life that keeps you looking over the shoulder or perhaps leads you to sometimes think, oh, I might just give up and go back to my old life. Is it unhelpful relationships that, that, that lead you away from Jesus that you ha- perhaps need to barbecue that entanglement? Is it addiction to something? Is it addiction to alcohol or, or other drugs or, or social media or TV or, 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 or anything? Is it an addiction that you need to nail to the cross so that you can be all in for Jesus? What is it that threatens to or has you looking over your shoulder instead of on the calling of Jesus that lies ahead? Is it pride and ambition? 
Is it fear and anxiety? Jesus died on the cross for our sin and to set us free from everything that would hold us back from being all in that would tempt us to turn around and go back. Peter, um, as we know on, on um, the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter the Apostle, and who became you know, a pillar of the early church, uh, who, who made a grandiose statement on the night that Jesus was betrayed and said, you know, the others might all fall away, Lord, but not me. I'm rock solid. And so we know of Jesus' warning. We're familiar with the Gospels that, that, that Jesus said, oh, Peter, tonight, even before the rooster crows, to signal the next day you'll have denied me three times. And so the story goes on that, that Peter follows Jesus to uh, the courtyard of the officials that are putting Jesus on trial and he lingers in the courtyard and, and he has this moment where, where a young girl comes to him and goes, this guy was with Jesus. And Jesus says, I don't know what you were talking about. And three times Jesus has this opportunity, sorry, Peter has this opportunity to say, yes, I'm with Jesus. And he says, no, I'm not. Pardon me. Peter turned back on his commitment to follow Jesus. But we know that that's not the end of Peter's story as it comes to following Jesus. The, the story goes on and, and Jesus is crucified and he's raised to life and Peter's one of the first people there um, after hearing the, the testimony of the women who went to to Jesus' tomb. He's one of the first people there to go into the tomb and see that, that Jesus is no longer in the grave and he's risen again. And we see the story of Peter go on and on. And, but there's this moment before we get to that beautiful chapter of John where Peter's restored and, and, and refocused on his mission. There's this, this moment that happens just before that where the disciples are all together and Peter says, I'm going fishing. Now, we could interpret that in a bunch of ways, but, but it's this moment where Peter goes back. He's kind of caught in the middle and he goes back to who he was before, a fisherman. Now, I don't know if this is what was happening in Peter's mind or not, but I wonder whether he's kind of caught in the middle and he doesn't know who he is or, or what his calling is anymore. Maybe this, this, this story arc of being a disciple of Jesus is over and so I'm going to go back and become a fisherman again. He, he hadn't burnt his boat as Elisha had burnt the plough and so he returns to his old life. Maybe they just wanted lunch for the day, I'm not sure. But what I can tell you, what I believe to be 100% true is that was Peter's last night in the boat as a fisherman. That Jesus connects with Peter Asks him three times, do you love me, Peter? And three times affirms the call of Peter, feed my sheep, take care of my flock, feed my sheep. 
And we know that Peter from that moment forward remained 100% human and certainly would have made mistakes and messed up, but he did not turn back. That was his last night in the boat. So what is it for you? What is it that draws you back in, that pulls you away? Is it been a fisherman? Or maybe you're called to be a fisherman for Jesus. What do you need to barbecue? What do you need to nail to the cross to be all in for Jesus? And so this morning we're, we're going to invite our worship team to, to come up and, 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 and uh, play and, and minister to us in song. Um, and so thanks to Rob McGregor who um, is the implementer of creative ideas for his wife Renee and has also been the implementer of a creative idea for me this week. We have another cross. Um, and so what I want us to do this morning, we've got time before Kids Church finishes, is as the worship team plays, we'll join them in song at the end, but as the worship team plays as we reflect on what it is that that tempts us to turn back, that has us looking over the shoulder. I want us to take those things and nail them to the cross. Um, I remember playing Pictionary. um, And and there's there's certain cards in Pictionary that... that, Well, it's just this team that are playing at the moment, but then there's another card or a spot that you land on and it's all play. So what I want to encourage us to do as a church this morning, and we're a bit smaller in numbers, so that's going to make it even easier this morning. What I want to encourage us this morning to do is to make this an all-play response. Okay, so it's not just about a few people playing and responding to the Word this morning. Um, so in practice, what I want you to do is to come down once you've um, had time to pray and reflect, and it's just simply to take a piece of paper. You can write on it, you can, you can place something on it that represents the thing or the hundred things. You can take a hundred pieces of paper if you want. But we're just going to take this time this morning to then take those things. Um, if you like, you can pick up a nail and a hammer. Um, but there's also some pre-nailed ones this morning. And we're just going to put them on the cross. If you'd like some prayer uh, ministry after that, I've invited some people to come over this side um, to be available for prayer, and so they'll be there during this time. And so what's going to happen is I'm going to pray. The worship team are going to lead us and, and, um, and, and worship as we do this. But I just really encourage you to, to take this moment, this opportunity. I'm not going to tick people off. There's not going to be an accounting of as everyone put something on the cross but I really encourage you to take the opportunity nail whatever it is that keeps you from being all in for Jesus to the cross and in doing so let that be a an acted prayer that through the cross of Jesus we would be set free that those things would be barbecued and would be set free to follow Jesus with no turn So, Heavenly Father, 
we thank you for the example that Elisha gave us. That when he received a call from you through Elijah, that he set fire to his past and pursued his calling without turning back. We thank you for the ultimate example of Jesus though he knew the trouble and trial that he was to face set his face towards Jerusalem that he might endure the cross for us that we might be set free and so Father this morning I pray that you would reveal to us by your spirit what those things might be that have us looking over our shoulder that have us perhaps even tempted to give up on this journey of following Jesus I pray that you would reveal them to us and that through this symbolic act this morning that we might nail them to the cross and be set free to be all in for Jesus. So in his name we pray, in the name of Jesus. If you've been blessed and encouraged by this message, we'd love for you to become a part of the Yas Baptist family. Log on to ycbc.church to find out more.